hopefully we can have a yeah. interesting discussion about race and, and racial representations. So yeah. We're great representatives. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. we'll talk about how our race is very represented on council. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this is Van Collar. We're at the West Coast. <laughs> My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, Kennedy Stewart is the mayor of Vancouver, and even just minutes ago, uh, the NPA and Ken Sim officially conceded the mayorship, so that is official. City council is split between the NPA, the Greens, and one councillor apiece from Cope and one city. We're going to talk about what just happened this past weekend in the city of Vancouver's municipal election, and I'll admit... I'm kind of done talking politics for a while. Uh, You're going to get some real fun episodes from me in the coming weeks. But I think given the amount of coverage that this podcast has given the election, it's only fair that we make sense of it together. And and maybe we'll have a little fun today as well. I am joined by two gentlemen who are going to help me mansplain all the election (laughs) drama that literally came down to the final polling station. First, I am really excited to be joined by a guy who I hold in high regard for local podcasting here in Vancouver. He is one-third of the Camby Report and one-half of Politicoast. I respect his work and acknowledge how what he's done has paved the way for guys like me. Podcast extraordinaire, Ian Bushfield. Ian, how's it going? It's going very well. I'm just getting over a flu, and so I'm like 80%. 80%? That's yeah. pretty good. What a trooper, though. It was rough yesterday. It must have been a rough weekend. Yeah, I was up late. We did our live event watching the election results at Creative Coworkers just down the road, actually. Yeah. And it went late, as you were mentioning. It did go real late. (laughs) Well, good for you for soldiering on. Uh, I appreciate you being here. And uh, I just want to say that you and the boys at Canby Report really did some excellent reporting throughout this campaign. And anytime I was even mentioned in the same breath as you guys, I was really humbled because I appreciate the work that uh, you've been doing. Thanks. You've done a lot of great interviews yourself, I saw, and they're so many and so long. We were producing a lot of 15-minute interviews with counselors, and you'd Mm -hmm. sit down for like an hour and 20, and I saw that pop up in my feed, and I was like, (laughs) I want to listen, but there's so few hours in the week. But I got through a few of them. And And I I think it was a good contrast between the, the two of us. So you had more people that you interviewed but for shorter periods and I was kind of going in depth with just a few people so I think it was a good contrast and we complemented each other very well I think my second guest here today I've known for years (laughs) he was my only formal endorsement in this election he ran for Vancouver City Council on a shoestring budget he was not (laughs) taking anyone's money and he was telling people to donate to the greater Vancouver Food Bank instead and he accumulated over 11,000 votes. To give you some perspective, that's more votes than Hector Bremner got. So. Oh, come, come on. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> that is true. That's a fact. And uh, I wish I could be calling him city councillor today, but alas, <laughs> he's got many more years ahead of him to make that successful run for public office. My man, Graham Cook. How's Graham, it going? It's going well. Good to see you. It's good to be here. Yeah, I've never, um, well, I've done uh, Ian's podcast, and now I'm doing your podcast. And I'm just, uh, yeah, just really getting into the world yeah. of, uh, <laughs> you know, transitioning to my new career as a podcast guest. You're, you're, you're making it happen. Yeah. I love it. 
Yeah. Well, it's good to see you. I think the last time I saw you was at a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> like very randomly. Yeah. We we didn't know that we knew this person and yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so always very formal uh, engagements like exactly. weddings and podcasts <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah, love it. Um, I do want to acknowledge that you know you're you're young. You're you're still 24, right? Now I'm 25. You're 25 so now. So I'm older. I'm I'm jaded. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, instead of tuning out or, or complaining about politics or angry tweeting, uh, you got out there and decided to do something about it. And as it is with all the candidates, you know, I respect that and I applaud it. So I just want to thank you for contributing your time, your effort and your ideas to this election, because 11,000 votes with no money is no joke. It's, <laughs> well, it's really not, impressive. Not so. just the votes. Graham was getting mentions from the most respected journalists in the city. Francis <laughs> Bueller was shouting about. Tom Davidoff said, I'm only giving one endorsement this election, the UBC housing economist. And he said, Graham Cook's my guy. Wow. <laughs> he went my route. Yeah. That's what I did. <laughs> a bunch of those lists. So good work, Graham. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it was um, just to have anybody, you know, hearing the message and, and you know, resonating with it was, was huge for me and hugely rewarding. Yeah. Well, great job. Um, Seriously, congratulations, and uh, happy to have you here. Yeah, it's weird to get uh, congratulated for uh, for losing, but no, I, it was know, a good effort, and I'm, I'm really proud of it. We had, this, yeah. we had this joke at the election night party that every NDP election night is a victory party, <laughs> even when, like in 2011, Jack Layton lost, yeah. but he did really well, so it was a victory. Yeah, and even yeah. though the conservatives won, and it was ultimately worse for social democracy in the country, they were like, "We won!" So <laughs> you won, Graham. Yeah, <laughs> little victories. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so let's get into it. Uh, I'm just going to talk a little bit more because I want to set us up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to discuss how Kennedy Stewart ultimately became the mayor of Vancouver. And for me, there's three turning points in this campaign for me. The first two happened around the same time in May. The first was the nonpartisan association, the NPA, denying city councillor Hector Bremner the opportunity to run their mayoral candidacy race. Coupled with Wei Young also dropping out of the NPA mayoral candidacy race, this set up some splintering on the right with the creation of Yes Vancouver, Coalition Vancouver, and also Vancouver First, which took a few NPA members as well. The second turning point, and maybe this one is a little obvious, but it was Kennedy Stewart just announcing his independent candidacy to become the mayor of Vancouver. Easily, you know, the most high-profile candidate in this race. Uh, Kennedy was fresh off the heels of that whole Kinder Morgan protest arrest thing, which got him a lot of media attention. The NDP was and is in relatively good standing in Vancouver. And his entrance certainly put everyone else on notice as, like, the guy to beat, right? The third turning point for me was Vision mayoral candidate Chief Ian Campbell dropping out of the race. He was polling decent numbers when he surprised withdrew uh, his name from the running. And the big question was, are his supporters going to go to Kennedy or are they going to go to Shauna Sylvester? Ultimately, I'd, I'd argue that more of them went to Kennedy. Um, but if Ian Campbell was still in the race, like we might have a different mayor right now. So, Ian, I want, I want to start with you. What do you think were ultimately the circumstances that led to Kennedy Stewart winning the mayoral election, because ultimately this is not a populist win. I mean, he won by 29% of the popular vote. And he only won by 800, 900 votes 900 over Ken Sim. Votes, yeah. So I think the bigger question isn't how did he win, it's how did he almost lose? <laughs> like Kennedy Stewart came in with so much more name recognition than everyone else in the race. Mm-hmm. No one knew who Ken Sim was before this race. Mm-hmm. He runs to successful businesses, 
but other than that has no political resume. Shauna Sylvester had a little bit, but in general wasn't you know, hadn't been elected. And that's mm-hmm. not to say she couldn't have done a great job. A lot of people obviously thought she could have. But Kennedy Stewart somehow didn't pick up as much excitement and momentum as I think people were expecting. He ran a stereotypical front-runner campaign mm-hmm. of, you know, I'm going to win, so why take any risks? And that almost didn't pay off. Yeah. I mean, it did in the end. And but a win's a win. <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, when you almost lose to Ken Sim with who doesn't have the support or doesn't have the experience and just basically runs on the I'm the NPA guy, vote for me mm-hmm. campaign, you have to go, you know, that was close. And so I guess the other part of the challenge when I'm framing it that way is the strength of Shauna Sylvester's campaign by contrast. So where Kennedy played it safe for most of the campaign, except maybe right at the end when he started putting out more bigger ideas and started really going hard with one city, Mm -hmm. Shauna was putting ideas out in mid-August and earlier, and big ideas. She said, I'm going to make this five-by-five voting system that no one has ever thought of, but (laughs) I'll explain it to you. And those kind of campaign policy announcements really caught a lot of people's attention. And the idea of having the first woman in the mayor's chair in Vancouver was also a big things she could say, whereas Kennedy would go, well, I support women and people of color, even though I'm not one, I, you know, Mm -hmm. he he can't Mm -hmm. be that. So he did win it in the end. And I think the points you lay out sort of are the path he took, Mm -hmm. but it's um, so impressive of how he had that path, but just scraped by. Yeah. I mean, I think both Ken and Kennedy were playing a safe game. Like they weren't really running inspired campaigns and, and with all due respect to them like they were kind of boring whereas I thought Shauna Wei Young and Hector Bremer were all swinging for the fences whether you agreed with them or not mm-hmm. I, they were they were playing for keeps and um, uh, Kennedy and, and Ken just seemed to try to keep their base like that was their game mm-hmm. um, and an interesting point about Shauna I, th- I think you're right she came she from August on like came on quite strong but only started using that, you know, let's elect the first woman thing sort of towards the end. That wasn't, I didn't feel like that was a central theme at the start. Well, it didn't have to be a central part of her campaign. Mm-hmm. And it might have actually hurt her if she'd played that. There's yeah, this, maybe. like, issue that any marginalized community has with not being the token. Right. So she can be the first woman without having to run as the first woman, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Graham, what did you think? Being in the middle of it, you were at a lot of these events, uh, mm-hmm. participating yourself. Um, was this something where Kennedy was just losing momentum but held on enough to win? Or wh- wh- what was the course of this campaign? Yeah. I mean, you know, if Kennedy – first, like, if Kennedy had taken a bunch of risks and really swung for the fence, like you say, as the rest of them, and had lost, we'd be all sitting here saying, why didn't he play it safe? What was he doing? He was way out ahead in the polls. You know, why was he there? Yeah. But, you know, coming from my point of view, like, going to a lot of these events and, and presenting to a lot of these events, it was exactly as I think the two of you put it. It was like, here's Hector, Y, and Shauna, um, you know, just absolutely going for it, absolutely laying up the room. Mm-hmm. and you know, Kennedy Stewart telling, and not to, you know, I, I like Kennedy Stewart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, telling the same story about how he came to Vancouver from Halifax, which I can now <laughs> recite by memory. Did you know he was in a band? Yeah. Uh, did you know they used to deliver beer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he drove beer trucks. And it was it was that same thing over and over again. Yeah. But, 
you know, that repetition meant people knew him. He was the safe choice. True enough. But yeah. when, you know, for someone like me that was going to these events over and over and over again, that's how Shauna, you know, very gradually won my vote at least was here's somebody swinging for the fences but doing it with experience and doing it with actual policy, whereas, you know, someone like Wei Young was more like, you know, I'm the bike lane person and we're going to tear them out. Mm -hmm. And Shauna was like the equivalent of that for well-reasoned policy, if that makes any sense. It was like, Mm -hmm. here's this person who's going to take a definitive position and back it up with like decades of of work experience. And just from a technical aspect, Shauna was an incredible communicator. Mm -hmm. And I think she ran circles around everyone else that was put Mm -hmm. on the stage with her anytime that she was up on the stage. Like, just so good. And even whether she was getting heat from the crowd or getting questioned from her peers, uh, she really did so well in in keeping her cool and keeping her composure, but then also articulately giving her message to the audience. and I think more the, the more that happened, she started also, the more people saw her speak, she started to build up a lot of momentum as well. Yeah. I think the other thing that comes up, though, is the three of us spent a lot of time on this election. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Graham <laughs> talks about going to basically every event, and he did. Yeah. Most people maybe, like, looked into the election once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people probably looked, saw how many people were running, and went, nah, and then didn't vote. Mm-hmm. And so you had a lot of people going in probably with low interest in the election, had maybe looked at a couple names, sort of saw what the newspapers were saying were the top choices for mayor or whatever, maybe looked at those three or four sure. and mm-hmm. went from there. And from that, that's where Kennedy's campaign plays to its strengths because you don't have a bunch of competing ideas mm. challenging them. Mm-hmm. And right at the end, he started really pushing this, I'm with one city, I need Christine Boyle and Brandon Yan. Right. And their values are my values and he basically just adopted their platform yeah even though he had like played a slightly more moderate platform before then he was Mm -hmm. like no let's basically do everything they say Mm -hmm. so i think that's probably uh i mean i mentioned those three turning points i mean maybe i would add that as a as a fourth um sort of this alliance with uh with one city that's a good point Mm -hmm. um what I'm seeing a lot in the news media in terms of dissecting this election is the inverse where people are talking about how the NPA ultimately dropped the ball Mm. uh, as opposed to how Kennedy barely held on. Um, And it seems like, you know, they had some splintering. They had a few different waves of exodus um, in the last few months. It certainly didn't affect the money that they raised. Um, But once they circled the wagons, what, what do you think? Do you think that they had an effective campaign strategy or did they leave a lot of votes on the table? I think if you go back a year and... I think Sam Sullivan mentioned this to us when we had him at the election night is just he told them to basically keep their tent together mm-hmm. and they did not. <laughs> no. And you know, you mentioned that. They booted Hector out, way left on circumstances. It wasn't clear if it was her choice or not, mm-hmm. but she left as well. And that left some core group of I don't know, wealthy homeowners mm-hmm. who found Ken Sim, put him up, and scraped together a campaign after that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it gets them five people on council, which is a pretty good performance. Mm-hmm. But when you look at how well they were hoping to do and with Vision's collapse, which we should talk about more, you know, they did underperform mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. The MPA did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and obviously I brought up Hector and I brought up Way, but then you also have examples of what happened to Glenn Chernan. You know, why oh, did yeah. he leave? What, you know, no, we don't really know what the story is there. And, and these are smaller stories and smaller mm-hmm. exoduses, but there were certainly people that, that left with him. Erin uh, Shum also was a great case where she came back to the party. So they seemed sort to, of, yeah. They seemed to mm-hmm. reconcile, and then she had left again. Well, and there, if you went down the um, council list of independents, there were other people who were ex-NPAers yeah. as well, like Rob McDowell, but also Penny Noble, who was a past NPA school board trustee. And mm-hmm. I think there was even another NPA the, uh, school board trustee on there as there well. There was a Vancouver first the, – the Vancouver first best council candidate, their best uh, – Elizabeth for, Taylor? Was it – no, maybe not Elizabeth <laughs> Taylor. Vancouver first? Yeah. Oh, uh, Ken? Ken Lowe. Ken Lowe, Ken yeah, Lowe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, also ex-NPA, uh, so yeah, saw a lot about that. Yeah. Uh, you, Graham. Speaking of NPA, you were uh, you <laughs> very, were thinking about joining them very or? briefly. Yeah, no, very briefly. <laughs> what? But what even brought that thought thought about? I, they had the most publicized and, and most open, <laughs> which is ironic now. Um, <laughs> most open, uh, you know, nomination process. Is and that they, right? Okay. Yeah, and and they were really kind of like when I went to a couple of their early events because they had the momentum early. I mean, they were coming off. A by-election win. A lot of people in Vancouver, like myself, were kind of, you know, without a political home. Either we used to back vision or sort of voted in a certain way and and didn't really have that representation. And the NPA's sort of early message, especially with Hector Bremner winning and then like immediately questioning, you know, single family zoning across the city. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we can get into all of that a little bit later. Sure. Um, you know, they were really looking like kind of this change agent party, which is weird to say now um, because <laughs> they ended up picking their own candidates and picking their own people and and just kind of keeping it in the family, if, if that makes sense. Um, but at the time, they were really looking like, you know, OK, Vision's time is done. We're going to be, you know, run maybe, you know, closer to the center than they have before and bring in kind of new ideas like the conversations I was having these events, not necessarily with party officials, but people influential in the party mm-hmm. were like, yeah, we're looking for a more progressive bent this year. And yeah. that didn't really end up materializing. I think part of that is so many people left and saw that that wasn't going to happen. And then, you know, others, they just saw obviously a, a great path to, to victory going, you know, the route they went. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like they were in love with the idea of, you know, opening up the base and, Mm-hmm. And having some malleability in in their uh, their party and their ideology, mm-hmm. and then when they started happening, they started having cold feet. And, mm-hmm. You know, the grassroots it, always sounds great until they show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's talk about the other big party uh, that didn't fare so well, and that's Vision Vancouver. Um, was it just a matter of they've been in power for so long? People are kind of tired of them. Uh, or was it a poor campaign? I mean, there was certainly drama up until the night before the election. Uh, what happened with Vision? Why, why couldn't they generate enough support to even get, you know, like a Heather Deal uh, reelected? I think it's all of those things. You go back a year and we have this by-election where Vision looks tired. People are frustrated at the housing crisis. They put up Diego Cardona in that by-election and he places fifth mm-hmm. behind two other progressives, Hector Bremner and the Greens. So I guess three progressives, depending how you count. And you go, well, that was poor. Maybe Diego was just too young. You know, he kind of got thrown to the slaughter. Mm -hmm. One off. It comes forward and they go into the VDLC negotiations in this weird overconfident 
posturing, and mm. it's hard to tell if that's like some reflecting some internal polling they know or some secret they know, and it turns out it was all bluster. Yeah, I guess. Did they have Ian Campbell on board as their I candidate at that time? Don't think so. Okay, interesting. Uh, maybe they'd been in discussions, yeah. but they played those cards close to their chest, mm-hmm. as far as I remember. Then they announce him as their mayoral candidate after it becomes clear the VDLC isn't going to get them to agree on a mayoral candidate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Ian Campbell drops out, and it looks a little bit chaotic. Mm-hmm. And then you go through the election campaign, and you start seeing everyone's sign come up and on their lawns, and it's only like three days before the election that you finally see some vision signs going up in front of some houses. Mm-hmm. And when I saw them, they looked like the plastic ones they probably used four years ago in the last election. Really? Because they're just, they just say vision. They look a bit faded, oh. a bit tired. And I was like, this is not a good, this, maybe it's too good of a representation of the party at this yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And then they drop a candidate the night before the election oh. for... What happened there? Like, I, I'm still trying to figure out... There's rumors floating around, but it's hard to know exactly what he'd been, you know, no one had really said whether he was the best candidate to pick. There was some comments on social media about him maybe making disparaging marks against others in the Chinese community in Chinatown. Yeah, even though he is Chinese. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, There was allegations maybe he was involved or connected to some, or not directly connected, but maybe named in that vote-buying scandal that came out a couple days before. And that's the WeChat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe there was something else even. Vision's not saying. He's probably not going to say. It's kind of a moot point now, I guess, Mm -hmm. but one of those other mysteries of the election. How did he end up placing? Uh, I think he was the last of the vision vision ones, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess he's not officially a vision, but the word vision was beside his name. Mm -hmm. Is this brand dead, or is this, uh, are they going to, I mean, I'm I'm sure they'll be in the next election, but, you know, are they going to spend some time in the wilderness before they're, they're back? Yeah, well, well, here's kind of my thing. Um, so, you, you know, Ian mentioned going into the VDLC negotiations, at least from where I was sitting, you know, firmly within the echo chamber, they actually kind of did have the upper hand going into that. I think that's how they came out of the VDLC hmm. negotiation with, um, you know, five nominations. It's everything that happened after that's A, the VDLC nominating Kennedy Stewart instead. Yeah. It's... Um, you know, just general, like, everyone was gunning for him. They were just being used as the punching bag by literally every other party. So even progressives didn't want to, you know, mark down, you know, one city cope and vision, mm-hmm. you know, or one whatever, you know, configuration they wanted. Um, but I was really shocked, and I'm sure they were more shocked, on election night that people like, you know, Tanya Paz didn't have a better performance. Yeah. Um, that was quite mystifying to me because here was somebody that had – you know, the energy vision used to have. Like, they didn't just field five candidates that were, you know, a favor or whatever. These were people with, you know, options to win a seat. Sure. You know, any party would have taken almost any of those five. Mm-hmm. You know, as certainly any, you know, progressive party. So it was shocking to see, you know, when you talk about the NPA brand being worth 30,000 votes, I think was what I saw, you know, a sort of hypothesis flowing around. The Vision Brown was actually worth negative votes. Like, it weighed down some of these candidates. Um, you know, not necessarily mm. saying they would have done better as independents because, like, we saw how, you know, we all fared. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean. Uh... <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, and, and again, it, it, it does go back to that other question of it's it's tough to be, it can be tough to be an incumbent 
incumbent for so long, especially mm-hmm. when there's this many parties and this many candidates, and you're the easiest one to go after because you're the one that has record, mm-hmm. right, in terms of what you accomplished. Yeah. If you're if you're running for a position you don't have, you have no track record of how you've done, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're, so only, you're only hypothesizing. So uh, it seems like they're in a tough place. Um, I guess I'm just wondering where, where do they go from here in terms of building up um, a base to – to reclaim some of uh, their popularity again. So they still have Alan Wong on school board, and mm-hmm. that is the entirety of the Vision Caucus right now. Yeah. Uh, people have been playing around because a lot of proportional representation advocates like to look at how many votes did each party get versus how many seats. And that's a very tough model when you have mul- different numbers of candidates running for each party. Mm-hmm. But I did. someone did do the breakdown of, I think it was Earl Washburn on Twitter, who does a number of these polling aggregate type data. And he broke down the average votes per party per candidate, essentially. Okay. So you in that there you have like front runner parties like the Greens got forty, fifty thousand votes per candidate. The NPA, Cope in one city got similar amounts. Then you drop to twenty four thousand for vision. Wow. Then you drop to like, you know, sixteen to eighteen thousand for coalition, yes, Vancouver first and everyone else below that. Sure. So vision is in this precarious spot between fringe and elected and maybe they can claw their way back up it could be like cope was say mm-hmm. in the previous election where they went from two candidate two counselors to none now they're back to one and on the way back up mm-hmm. or maybe all of their people just go to one city or cope depending how they feel yeah mm-hmm. so it could go either way yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was my kind of take as well as, you know, if you're vision, now you're you're cope, you've got to go out into the political wilderness a bit. Yeah. Um and yeah, probably not run a mayoral candidate in 2022. That's probably Well, especially if Kennedy runs again. Yeah. yeah. You're not yeah. <laughs> run, you know, two or three for council, one for each of the other ones and start building up that momentum again, I think. Mm-hmm. The other thing that probably also hurt them and it's not really talked about, is the campaign finance changes. Mm. In the same way that when Kretchen brought them in at the federal level, they really kneecapped the federal liberals yeah, because they couldn't accept corporate and union donations suddenly, which they'd survived on. Vision had built itself up by taking both a lot of developer money, but also a lot of union money. Sure, and they yeah. managed to walk that divide and had a number of individual donors. But I've heard conflicting reports of whether they had a ton of money in the bank and just didn't know how to spend it or mm-hmm. if they literally were broke yeah. and the el- election campaign they ran despite the awesome performance i agree of tanya paz and diego and a few of these other candidates suggests they didn't have the money in the bank and it's hard to go from that to having only one elected person to then rebuilding an electoral machine mm-hmm. yeah yeah fair enough interesting uh it, it, Interesting to see what will happen from here, right? And I mm-hmm. think it might all, it might actually depend on how much reserves they have in the mm-hmm. bank. If they do still have money, and you know maybe they start to rebuild that brand, uh, you could see people stick around. But if word gets out that they're broke, mm-hmm. <laughs> you I wouldn't be surprised if people would start leaving and looking at their their options, and maybe not want to be part of a rebuilding. Uh, venture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to get back to two guys with a lot of money, though. Mm-hmm. Um, Earlier in the campaign, I had uh, Ken Sim in the sh- on the show, and I asked him if it was going to come down to Ken versus Kennedy. 
And uh, it basically did because we were waiting to hear from the very last polling station to, to call it a night. Um, as we sort of, sort of talked about before, I think both of them ran really safe campaigns. But I am sort of rethinking this idea of whether it was Ken versus Kennedy because I feel like if Ken had won, progressives would probably blame Shauna Sylvester for splitting the vote. And you're starting to see some articles come out about Wei Young and Again, the NPA dropping the ball, but Wei Young splitting the vote. So as much as this race was Ken versus Kennedy, I feel like it was arguably Kennedy versus Shauna and Ken versus Wei, and the big winner from either of those would win the mayorship. Because it's not like Ken and Kennedy were taking votes from each other, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in a way, those are both putting, like, who's the establishment versus the upstart. And... Mm. In an election like a general election like that, people will side with who's the more establishment just out of strategic, you know, in general. Like, you'll see a certain number split off on the, you know, I want something different and I'll take the risk. But, you know, I can't take that and say, well, Ken was clearly the more popular choice than Wei Young. Maybe if Ken Sin had ran on a more anti-bike lane campaign, <laughs> forbid, uh, <laughs> He could have taken it, but he didn't. Well, Ken, I think Ken Sim was working with a smaller pool, mm -hmm. and and Kennedy was working mm -hmm. with a much larger pool in terms of progressives, right? Mm -hmm. So, so Ken basically had to win it all, mm -hmm. and and obviously Kennedy had a lot to spare, uh, and he did with with the amount uh, of votes that Shauna received. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, um, on that note, I mean, you know, we talk about why young, um, but uh, is it way or why? Sorry, I'm, I, I've switched I've back both. and forth. Um, <laughs> totally not sure. I thought it was way. I only ever read things. Well, yeah. yeah, I only read, yeah. So. Yeah, well, no judgment either way. I'm just curious. I thought maybe you were in on something that I wasn't aware of. <laughs> no, no, I was uh, I was guessing. Okay. Um, <laughs> and well, I please, apologize. Sorry. sorry to interrupt. Uh, yeah. No, um, but, you know, we, we talk about her campaign, but let's say, you know, it's March mm -hmm. and the NPA, you know, works it out with Hector Bremner and he runs as a counselor and they've got... Ken Sim for mayor. Mm -hmm. You know, is Ken Sim mayor today? You know, because Hector pulled 6,000 votes that were probably NPA voters. You know, I don't think a lot of, I'd have to see a breakdown, but I don't think a lot of vision people went to yes. I think it was mostly, you know, NPA voters and maybe a few. It's hard to say because the platforms are so much different. And yeah. um, I'm almost curious if, I think it would have been really interesting if uh, Hector Bremner ran with what I'm speculating to be the slate that he wanted, which was uh, Adrian Crook, Wade Grant, uh, Aaron Shum, Rob McDowell, sort of that group that mm -hmm. was originally thought to be... It was all the rumors, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then when they announced their slate, everyone was kind of like, who? Who are these yeah. people? Yeah, <laughs> no with offense. all due respect to them. Yeah, yeah, they're all great. Um and I almost wonder if if those candidates were there, then maybe you would have seen a little more MPA split off and a clearer, decisive win for Kennedy. Well, it was mm -hmm. so interesting, just to stop on Aaron Shum for a second, mm -hmm. the campaign she ran as an independent looked nothing like a Yes Vancouver campaign. Mm. It was a mix of, like, NPA stuff with the, like, parking and traffic obsession of the way young. Right. Team. When I interviewed her, I was like, Oh, I didn't expect this. <laughs> yeah. I was like, actually, I was fine. It was good to hear her voice. And she talked a lot about parents and safe streets and things and mm -hmm. making parking free. 
I was like, oh, okay, different. Yeah, but so you saw why maybe she wasn't part of that slate. Maybe, yeah, or else, you know, maybe she changed her pitch between there. But, you know, I assume she ran on her values as an independent because mm-hmm. why else would you run as an independent? And so, yeah, the the fit, fit with Yes Vancouver has stuck out in my mind as not quite her. Yeah. But the rest, sure. Yeah, <laughs> you would think so. Um, but... Whatever happened there, yeah. <laughs> we can only sort of uh, speculate at this point. Since we're here, I have to talk about Hector Bremner. Mm-hmm. Um, as you have know, as you know, and anyone on Twitter that follows me knows, uh, I've been highly critical of him. And while I think I was sharp and sarcastic at times, and my criticisms of his candidacy came in probably a great volume, I never spread lies about him. Uh, I never attacked him personally. I just believe that, one, his candidacy was problematic, and two, he was a fringe candidate. And I don't want to kick Guy when he's down. He didn't have a good performance in this election. That's not what I want to harp on. But I want to talk about something else, and I want to pose sort of food for thought. We're going to get it, get it, get it, sorry, we're going to get into some dangerous territory, but we're all, we, we trust each other here, so we're going to be <laughs> authentic, and I want to have this conversation. The Globe and Mail's incredible Francis Beulah, who I hold in very high regard, tweeted the following as election results were pouring in. Quote, whenever I watch election results, I always wonder what it's like to be a passionate supporter of a party that ends up at the bottom. Coalition, pro-van people have to be wondering what world they're really living in. Unquote. Now, this gives credence to what I've been telling everyone within earshot for months about Hector Bremner. He was a fringe candidate. Wei Young of Coalition Vancouver got almost 2,000 more votes than him, and that is double the difference between Kennedy Stewart and Ken Sim. So if Coalition Vancouver is out of touch with reality, then we have to put Yes Vancouver and Hector Bremner in that same category. However, while the public and the media openly treated Way as a fringe, almost joke candidate, Hector Bremner had glowing media coverage outside of Billboard Gate, of course. And this includes being the only candidate to be on the cover of the Georgia Strait, where he was lauded as the next Gordon Campbell. And all the media outlets treated him like a legitimate contender up until maybe the last week of the election. Now, here's one I want to chew on. If Hector Bremner was privileged with relatively favorable media coverage, was this perhaps institutionalized privilege? Because ideology aside, you have Hector and you have Wei. I'm looking at a white man and I'm looking at a Chinese woman. And I understand that this is a radioactive discussion, but in the context of a very white city council, We have to have it authentically, because even though I don't agree with Wei Young, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, and I'd love to hear what you think, juxtaposed to Hector Bremner, Wei Young was not treated fairly, and the voters proved it. So let's unpack this. Hector Bremner, was he a fringe candidate, as I'm suggesting, as the premise that Francis Beulah gave, he would fall in that category? Um, And was he given more legitimacy than other candidates that sort of fell in that three to seven percent range, which includes Wei Young and includes 
Fred Harding, both of whom are people of color. Mm-hmm. So around the, I'll talk about the Canby Report coverage sure. first of it, because that's the media that I'm responsible for. Absolutely. Yeah. Around the Thanksgiving Day weekend it was? No, sorry, Labor Day weekend. Uh, we did four mayoral interviews. We mm-hmm. spoke to Kennedy Stewart, Shauna Sylvester, Ian Campbell, who then dropped out, so we only put that on Patreon, and Ken Sim, all in one weekend. It was exhausting. Yeah. And we got those out <laughs> It's a big weekend. Uh, we did Hector Bremner a couple weekends later when we had some more time, and we'd reached out to Wei Young's campaign multiple times, mm-hmm. and they never got back to us. Did they ever respond, or they just never? I don't. Patrick was doing the emailing, okay. so I don't know for sure. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but we tried, yeah. and we did try to reach out to their campaign. What I did see from the campaign she was running was one that had a target that wasn't my audience, frankly. Mm-hmm. Young millennials, probably more white, who ride bikes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For multiple reasons, she was not seeking our audience. Yeah. And so she definitely had a target and managed to turn them out. Was Hector uh, overcovered? It's really hard to say. He's a sitting councillor or was a sitting councillor. Mm-hmm. And that's a fair point. And that gives him some credit. Credence. Credit. Credit. I had a different Either. word in yeah. mind. Gives him some credibility. Credibility, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, he put out big ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think those are always worth covering. And he put not like wild, impossible ideas, but it's worth talking about the city plan he developed, whether you agree with it or not. Mm-hmm. Um Versus, like, what was the Vancouver first big idea, bringing the Grizzlies back? Yeah. <laughs> Which, cool. <laughs> cool not. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to build a new stadium for them, too. I'm yeah. not sure why, but. <laughs> and, you know, I can't even tell you really what Pro Vancouver was running on besides really attacking Airbnb and things like that. Mm-hmm. Which, again, similar. Sort of cool, but where's the big overarching idea? Mm-hmm. Maybe Graham wants to build on that. Yeah, I mean. You know, I think Mo raises a great point. I mean, you know, somebody like Young was, you know, uh, you know, disregarded from the start. I think part of that is, you know, being the conservative MP that compared Stephen Harper to to Jesus and, you know, our history in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, would a white man who's saying the same things as her get treated the same way? I don't think so. Um, You know, I think, uh, you know, if if let's take a conservative example, Andrew Scheer was running for mayor of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I think he'd be treated differently. And that's just, you know, I'm definitely not in the best place to, you know, make any commentary on race relations or, or how marginalized people are impacted by the media sure. or the media's treatment. But, um, you know, if, if I had to simulate that situation, I'd see it going differently. Um, when it comes to Hector Bremner, I think, you know, something that can't be overshadowed. And again, this is coming from going to so many of these events, he is a uh, head taller than everyone else at communicating. Um, he does go a mile a minute. He does, uh, you know, um, you know, take the questions into different areas. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the whole package, I mean, this guy's like Don King. Like he, you know, it's the suit, it's the hair, it's the everything. He comes in and, and it's just like, you know, the, the Jordan Belfort thing, you know. Right. He completely can own a room. And so can so can Wei Young. You know, I think we were all surprised. Wei Young um, had her moments, absolutely. Yeah, by her debate performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think Ian was it you that put out that was like, yeah, you don't become an MP by you know not being able to own a room. Mm-hmm. But I think why Hector was able to you know so easily play the media and so easily get those you know kind of stories that were shocking, like 
you know, the Georgia Strait, Charlie Smith, like mm-hmm. praising Yes Vancouver, is here's somebody that inspires confidence. And that's why it was so surprising. And I still have I've thought about it a lot. I think we chatted about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the wheels fell off to that extent, like hitting what was his total, like 6,000 votes, did you say? Uh, no, it was under 10,000, uh, so it ended up being 5.8% of the total yeah. vote, I believe. I, exactly. It was It was like, uh, you know, it was like... Which watching, is not good. Yeah. It considering was, the amount of money that was raised and spent, it's it's not a great performance. It was, I couldn't believe he he couldn't get to 10%, you know, just given the overall package of, of who he was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was crazy to see almost two stories play out. It was how the media was receiving somebody and how I think, you know, political people were receiving somebody and the public just not going along for the ride. And yeah. I know that's not what we're looking to discuss in this segment. but No, that's fine. That and, was... Because I want to discuss all angles. And, and mm-hmm. again, when I'm saying institutionalized privilege, that could also just relate to ideology, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That could relate to uh, a left-leaning or liberal media. Um, I'm just looking at why... Because his poll numbers, I think, were consistently between that 5 to 10% range. Mm-hmm. There was a poll that came out that put him higher. But that I think one seem- of the early ones. Yeah. yeah, but that was an anomaly. If you look at the other, especially the Conseco polls, they keep him pretty steady in that range, and they keep way young in that range as well. And I wonder if we were overinflating Hector or undercutting way young. Because, you know, when I talked, I'm not going to say who, but I t- I've talked to a few mayoral candidates, and a few of them said that, they were actually quite worried about Wei Young. They thought that she posed a, a dark horse threat uh, that was not being taken seriously in the media. Um, so I'm just trying to. I think they're great. They're a great contrast in terms of mm-hmm. how the media cover it, covers candidates. And again, it's it's also sort of buttressed by this all white council, where you know is racial representation or and coverage of. Uh, different ethnicities in the media is it treated differently and and again i'm not there is i want to be really clear i'm not accusing anyone of racism or anything like mm-hmm. that i just think this conversation has started already and we do have to start having this conversation mm-hmm. about how we view each other and people running for public office yeah it's so mm-hmm. complicated with young because i you know i'm totally on board with you that there's so many systemic issues in how people of color are covered versus mm-hmm. white people at the same time, though, Young has also come from the Harper conservatives that <laughs> hard skewed traditional media and I think have like gone even further since, you know, the 2015 federal election. Sure. And the camp, she basically wasn't just not speaking to Camby Report. She wasn't probably, I'm assuming, maybe mm. I'm wrong, but I'm assuming wasn't, you know, going out and seeking the Georgia Strait mm. or most of the mainstream media but had her pockets that she wanted to talk to and that's not to say oh she only wanted to talk to the chinese community but there is a growing alternative media scene both in terms of podcasts and all of that but in terms of fringe news sites and Mm -hmm. people who are polarizing and ideological bubbling social media and all of this and so you can talk to your group without necessarily going out there whereas hector's a very traditional politician in many ways in terms of he comes from a very BC liberal. I know all of the people in the media. So he can just like text them, get the interview the next day, and he's out there. And so he played the traditional media game Mm -hmm. perfectly because he knows it and his team knew it. Yeah. But that's not where people are listening anymore. Mm. 
And so there's this extra question in here of, you know, what's the media's responsibility? And this applies to even us, I think. How do we cover elections going forward and politics going forward as people, move, as politicians start to move out of this traditional game and mm-hmm. start to go to, like, and we're going to see this at the next federal election. I'm sure the conservatives are going to be talking a very different election on when they go to the rebel media or to the Toronto yeah. Sun yeah. versus when they're talking to the Globe and Mail. Yeah. And trying to keep track of those two conversations or more is going to be tough, especially if they're happening in multiple languages mm-hmm. and not just English and French, obviously. That's a great point. And, and I would add to that that, you know, when Wei Young beat Ujjal Dosanjh, I can't remember the year of that election, but when she knocked off Ujjal, who was a sitting minister at the time, um, they they credited that victory to her ability to reach these Chinese-speaking media outlets that the liberal riding at that time was completely ignoring. Um, so she obviously knows what she's doing. I think she has a communication strategy. Um, there might be some credence to that idea that, yeah, maybe she's just not interested in, in some of that media coverage uh, that obviously Hector would, would bask in. I want to go to a question that Graham asked, and I want to ask you, Ian, uh, you've been following this campaign. You've been looking at it from a macro level and a micro level. Where did the wheels fall off for Hector Bremner? Because there was a lot of noise. Um, I don't necessarily think the fallout with the MPA was the worst thing in the world because it was, at least in terms of local politics, getting his name out there. I don't even think the billboards thing was the worst thing in the world. Uh, I do wonder if maybe that's where that's where the wheels f- fell off, but... Again, I didn't really see him picking up momentum in these polls that were coming out to point at a direct downfall or a moment where it was all over for him. We didn't have enough polls, honestly, to know when any single thing happened. But credit to Mario for the quality of his polls. His last one was off because he overshot Kennedy and undershot Ken, I think. But he nailed Shauna. He nailed Shauna, yeah. Anyway, that's dodging the question. I do think... The billboard camp issue hurt Hector's credibility a lot, and mm-hmm. he was just never able to recover from that. And he could have. But instead, it kind of just played back into all of the negatives people see with Hector Bremner and that campaign. It's all of the same things that brought down the BC Liberals in the last provincial election. Mm-hmm. It's ties to big business, a disregard for the spirit of finance laws, mm. if not the you know, letter of them. Sure. This sort of, you're only in it for the power. And then there's this broader question that I don't think a lot of, as many people as he's convinced of, are actually this yimbyist, rezone the city, massively rebuild everything. You know, the Cambria Report audience is very pro that, and we sure. have lots of good urbanists among our listeners, and we love them. But this idea of a radical transformation of the city and doing that consultation within nine months Mm-hmm. When you start to dig into the details of his plan, it's just not there. And when you spend a year on council saying that vision isn't consulting enough or it's not doing this or that wrong right enough, and then you present a plan that looks like you're going to do a much more with less consultation, mm. it, there's a credibility issue, and he never really resolved that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, all at the same time while saying it's a post-partisan campaign while still kind of going on partisan attacks either on Twitter or through surrogates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it all kind of just came. I, I like it kind of, uh, Graham talked very highly of 
uh, Hector's communication ability. And I've heard mm -hmm. a lot of people say that. I've also heard a lot of other people who hear him and feel he's like a used car salesman. Yeah, and I'm on that end. <laughs> and it's a very dichotomous. You're either in one camp or the other. Yeah. But I, but I think what it is is if and, and maybe Graham and I would disagree here. Mm -hmm. I think that approach and his communication style works really well in small doses. Mm. Um, but I think the more you see it, and, and then when you see moments where he's kind of caught off guard or he's in a, put in an uncomfortable position and you, you start to see him unravel a bit, um, it, it's a bit of a turnoff. Uh, one example, I, I was at the Daily Hive debate, and, and we're going off on a tangent here, but mm -hmm. um, one example, and I was sitting beside Aiden Crook, and I pointed this out, and he, and he agreed with me, maybe he was just being nice, was that the style of how to interrupt someone. And, he, and something I noticed consistently with Hector was he would talk over you to interrupt you. And he particularly did this with uh, the women. It almost seemed a little more skewed in that. And again, this is just my experience, but certainly it's talking over was something that he was doing quite a bit. Whereas when you looked at Shauna, she sort of wa waited for you to draw in that long inhale. And while you were doing that, she sniped in and you know moved the conversation in, in, her, in her path. And I think that was the difference between someone who's real slick at communicating and someone who is very good at communicating and sort of sees it, sees the matrix a lot differently. Um, and I think when when you do that, when you interrupt someone in that way, it, it comes off as not so bad and actually comes off as very clever mm -hmm. um, because you're getting in your point and you're stopping someone in the tracks. But when you're talking over someone, that gets annoying real fast. Mm -hmm. I want to touch on something here that maybe can spark off a bit of a conversation about even some of the criticism one city got that sure. they shared with Hector in a very surprising way. I think Hector earned a lot of, and his, his party and, and Yes Vancouver, earned a lot of very valid criticism for, you know, how they handled the billboard issue, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can all sit here with, you know, 2020 hindsight yeah, and say course. how he would have done it. Um, but he also received a lot of criticism for being willing to question single-family zoning. And that's mm -hmm. something he shared with One City. You looked at you know, these mad online people that were like, oh, One City is just a vision front. It was because they were also questioning you know, RS1, single-family zoning. Mm -hmm. And that was like a, uh, something both of them kind of bared. And you know, Vision bared it and anyone else that was really – you know, <laughs> me to a lesser extent, mm -hmm. willing to question that that kind of status quo, each got this same dosing of, uh, you know, they're too far radical out there. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of valid things to criticize about him. But if he didn't run the by-election 2017 the way he ran it, I don't know that we'd be here all being able to talk about, you know, reforming single-family zoning the way we are. Right. Um, That's I a think good point. Yeah. He kind of bursts through that. And it's like you've seen a lot of things like tack anything else. The first mover is always going to take the hardest hits. Yeah. And so he took a lot of hard hits like that. And it sort of compiled onto everything he was getting that you've kind of brought up. Sure. Yeah. Is, is that ideology or that approach to zoning, Yimbyism, is it left leaning? Because I feel like m most people I talk to in that in that school of thought do lean left there are certain people who are a little more free market but it seems like most people are left and i wonder maybe if that was the disconnect where he was seen as a party on the right even though he embraced 
this yimbyism, and maybe that was wh- why he didn't get off as popular as as One City. Mm. Well, now we're into the Canby Report deep cuts because the <laughs> thing we've spent like the most time on in this election, or the thing that's driven come out of the podcast that's driven the conversation the most, is what we talked about with Stuart Prest when we had him on, which is his theory that there's a third axis to this yeah. politics. So you have your normal economic axis. Do you like the free market or stake-run economy? Mm-hmm. There's the social stuff. Do you like, you know, the government controlling your sex life or, you know, free sex for all kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And then there's the, a new urbanist axis. You know, yeah. should neighborhoods stay the same or should they become hyper-dense cities of the future mm. or some variation? And it's sure. hard to you know, try to be fair to all sides there. And when you plot that, you fa- we had Canby Report listeners kind of guess where they would put every city, and we crowdsourced a graph. It actually fits everyone's preconceptions pretty well. Yeah, it was very well Except done. for a group like Pro Vancouver, where no one knows where they sit. <laughs> what you found is on the left-right traditional economic versus social, it's a nice line. Mm-hmm. And so you can plot that line against the urbanism, and then you kind of had this scatter plot of parties with most of Vancouver's parties are center left, and that's because they're fragmented this year with mm-hmm. one city and Kennedy Stewart and Sean Sylvester and all these others running over there. And on the right, you have Coalition Vancouver in the far corner, and yes, Vancouver, maybe a bit more to the center in the NPA. And so you have these quadrants for the urbanist side versus the conservationist side. Sure. And the left is kind of split between them. Some people put the Greens and Cope more towards the conservationists, mm-hmm. and I would say depends which of each of those. And then Vision is a bit to the urbanist, and then One City is the most like left urban. Let's have socialist cities of the future, which they should run on that ca- tagline. Next line. <laughs> I'd vote for that. Uh, but then on the right, you don't really have urbanist sit parties, despite the idea that a lot of free market libertarians would have, which is you should just get this government out of zoning and all these regulations mm-hmm. and let the market solve it. But Hector was the first one to come by and say, why is the government in the regulate all of this stuff? Mm-hmm. And so it's weird that there wasn't more pickup there, but maybe it is true that it just doesn't fit most people's conceptions because most people don't you know, come out of economics degrees yeah. and instead have a more complex, maybe not fully coherent ideology. Mm. You know, when we look at urbanism and and yimbyism, it it seems like central to that political idea or or policy idea is how we treat land, right? And who owns land. So when you're saying that the property owner doesn't necessarily own the land like that seems like it's more of a leftist idea right if you're talking about capturing value or taxing land um and i brought this up with people who are not familiar with the ideas and and they said that sounds like communism like they would (laughs) they would go to that and so it seems like that idea just lends itself more to the left than it would the right if we're talking about government interventionism well but there's two ways you can do urbanism so you can mm. do it like one city is talking about with land value capture taxes and using zoning progressively, say, to increase density, but for social housing and for, you know, places that we can all afford. Mm-hmm. 
there's a right wing where you just get the government out of the way and Altogether. let people do whatever they want. And the hope is that they'll build big apartment buildings that will then, through the market, trickle down and lower rents. Yeah. I mean, if we want to get really fundamental, technically none of us own the land. The queen does. Right. And we just yeah. hold a title from her. Yeah. And technically, you know, she, she didn't take it in the most uh, yeah. <laughs> humanitarian Technically, ways. she never, like, actually – Agreed with the local people yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, there was never a transactional agreement there. Um, let's uh, let's get let's get back to the the precarious territory that I had us in. Mm-hmm. The t- the Twitter verse was ablaze with commentary that although eight of the ten city councilors were women, which is incredible, all uh, of the NPA councilors too. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, there was a noticeable. I guess also all of the cope. And one city councillor's too. <laughs> Technically, yeah. yeah. Just Green's the one green. green. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there was a noticeable lack of uh, racial representation here. And you're seeing the hashtag council so white. Um, there were many worthy candidates across different communities. So why didn't we see any Chinese or Indian or First Nations people on council was it just kind of an anomaly year or is there something else at play or what do you think yeah i mean for me what was so stark and and what you know really stuck out to me was and you know i'd have to again look into the numbers but i'm pretty sure when you look at the npa and the greens and one city Mm -hmm. the um individuals that were left off like next up we're all, um, you know, candidates of color, you know, people, um, people mm-hmm. from racialized yeah. communities. Yeah, uh, David Grewal and David Wong. David yeah. Wong and, and Brandon, Brandon Yan. Yan from, and Brandon Yan. From yeah. one city. And that's something that I think sticks out huge when you look at the results. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, does it and, – and there's so many different ways to go. And, again, you know, like I've said before, I'm, I'm probably – you know, you could have much better people on to talk about this. But does it come from the media? Does it come from, um, you know, voters' biases? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it come from how the parties treated them? Mm-hmm. Um, does it come from from what happens when you look at a ballot? Do you look for names like your own? I think those are, you know, all kind of questions um, that, you know, uh, need to be looked into and and um, can probably talk, be talked about at length. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's uh, how council shook down. And I think we need to take a look at how... The whole system interacts with itself, you know, throughout different parties, throughout even just the electoral system, you know, looking at how electoral reform can can help marginalized people better um, seek office. Um, you know, there's uh, been a couple articles that have come out in recent weeks just about first past the post and especially our, our 10 person at large first yeah. past the post really favors, you know, white candidates. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly those with angelicized names. Um yeah, so I think that's something that that really stuck out. I thought you, I think you bring up a great point with Brandon Yan in particular mm-hmm. because that one really surprised me, just because I always saw Christine Boyle and Brandon Yan as like a package deal, mm-hmm. and, and they sold it as such. What, yeah. And they did, yeah. But there was a nine thousand vote gap between them, mm-hmm. which, just from what I saw, and again, I'm limited in my bubble, which is mostly Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I I couldn't explain it. I couldn't figure out why. Maybe someone would vote Christine, but then leave Brandon off, right? So there are the obvious things. He did have Chinese characters after his name, and he was the only person. Mm-hmm. And so did that play a role in people who are still anti-Chinese? I think that's very around, possible, yeah. You know, money issues that have been – or 
money laundering issues that have been mm-hmm. talked about so recently and foreign influence in the real estate market. Uh, on Yan, personally, he's been under weird attacks for months on Twitter mm-hmm. in like controversies that I've tried to understand and I don't get why people hate him. Mm-hmm. But like he deleted his entire or a bunch of his Twitter history, which a lot of people do when they start politics. But then there was like a troll army who went after him for that. It also made national and news. It, yeah, made, it made the right? National Post, right? And like there was a bunch of other little things like that, none of which were a story, but he got hell for. I, but I wonder, and again, this goes back to Twitter of, you know, I don't think Twitter's reality. No, of... <laughs> it very much wasn't, or else Provan would be in the mayor's office. Or maybe Sean Cassidy now. They all switch sides. <laughs> they did switch at the end. I'm not sure why. Um, you're a big fan of Provan, hey? Like, you're, <laughs> really, you're really all about the gut talk. Listen, yeah. I, 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 I want to defend them for one okay. second. They're, they're, uh, a lot of them were private citizens. They, they're okay. not politicians. They came in. All respect to them. Um, Razamirza in particular, I thought was a fantastic candidate. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I stuck to my guns and only kept one endorsement. But if I made a second one, I'd, I'd probably endorse Raza because he's this guy who's not a politician, but he learned a lot and he knows a lot. And um, I think he would have been a very valuable voice in council. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that's worth So for all the jokes about no, program, yeah, no. I just do And I want to stand up for them as well because there was this other weird incident while we're talking about race where they got accused of racism when they were subjected to racist right. attacks. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. And I just yeah. don't even know. But but I, again, and I, I don't want to get too much into the Twitter drama because I really don't think it has any impact on the election. Um, but I did find that gap between Brandon Yan and Christine Boyle surprising. I also found the gap between Gene Swanson and Derek O'Keefe quite surprising because mm-hmm. in that COPE trio that was running for city council, Derek O'Keefe was very much like the hype man. He was the one that was out. Like, Jean Swanson, we can call, you know, the star. She's Order of Canada member. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks very highly of her. But Derek O'Keefe was the one that was, like, front and center, doing a lot of the talking, hyping up the base. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a 10,000-vote gap between them, which mm-hmm. I thought was really surprising. Like, I thought, again, I kind of thought – they were uh, a package deal, and Ann Roberts was a bit of a third wheel. Uh, but again, they, you, you saw another discrepancy there, which at its surface didn't make a lot of sense to me. I think there mm. were probably a lot of people who went into that voting booth and either checked names they knew, or like one thing that might have hurt Brandon Yan was Christine Boyle's name was second on the ballot, and he was buried somewhere in the middle or towards mm. the end. Mm, near the end, yeah. And, you know, people might have looked for some of the names they recognized. He had the Chinese characters, though. I mean, again, which could yeah. have hurt him based on maybe yeah. some anti-Chinese yeah. sentiment, but... And I know Gene, having run in the by-election, had a big profile municipally mm. and had been talking about running for so long. Derek's a fairly well-known activist, but mm. Cope is still kind of on the rebound yeah. as opposed mm-hmm. to maybe back in the game. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're saying that they're back in the game. <laughs> but, uh... They elected more than Vision and One City combined. Yeah. yeah, so that's a fair argument. Like, yeah. when you go to Park Board... It's a very weird split of three Greens, two NPA, and two COPE, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I have no clue what the Greens are going to do there. Maybe bounce <laughs> back and forth between the left and right poles. Yeah. School board has another COPE, a one city, and I forget the rest of the breakdown. I think like four Greens or something. Yeah. Well, well, let's let's get into that in a, in a, just a little bit. Um, I want to stick about. I want to stick to this issue about surprises. Was there any other surprises for you out of this election? Those were two of mine, yeah. The, uh, yeah. Brandon Yan and Derek O'Keefe. 
think, uh, I mean, David Grewal not getting on council was kind of surprising for mm. me. Um, he was somebody that I had heard a lot about. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and had been out in the community so much that for him to get off for Rebecca Bly, nothing about nothing wrong with Rebecca Bly. She's also a great mm-hmm. candidate. But it was interesting to see uh, that happen in the NPA. Like the candidates the NPA got on, I don't think five is is out of the ordinary, but it was the specific counselors they got that was a little surprising to me. Mm. Um, in terms of, you know, the Greens, uh, having three people, you know, poll very well, and then yeah. um, David Wong fell four or 5,000 votes short. That was really surprising um, for me as well, I think. And uh, I, I think we've sufficiently covered um, pro-Vancouver, but seeing all of them fall under 10,000 votes was surprising for me, but that's probably, again, you know, the Well, and Fred Harding chamber. did better than David Chen, which I, again, a small surprise, yeah. sort of inconsequential, <laughs> but he did do better, right? So Yeah, yeah. that all surprised me. I mean, Rebecca Bly, we had a little pool among Canby Report patrons of who would be your prediction for who would get on council, mm-hmm. and no one called her. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, everyone called, like, Swanson Carr and, I think, Fry and Melissa DiGenova. Mm-hmm. But everyone, I think, figured someone else would pick that, and Rebecca Bly just, like, snuck in there. So I'm almost mm-hmm. wondering if a lot of Vancouverites have been thinking about these equality and equity issues so much that they're like, all right, we've got to make, if we're going to pick someone from a party, we pick the women. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe. But yeah. then you go, oh, shit, we just picked a whole white council. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, I mean... It, these are good conversations to have because we're obviously trying to root out things in our subconscious or institutions. But it, you'll, you'll never get a perfectly sure. representative council. Um, I think Rebecca Bly is the only member of the LGBTQ community in the council. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no one with disabilities. Like, you could, the list mm-hmm. goes down in terms of what is yeah. representatives. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly, I think the, the racial aspect does jump out at mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one. Well, the w- other surprise I was going to mention, and we've already talked about it a bunch, yeah. is just how badly Vision did. Yeah. Like, everyone was predicting at least a couple Vision counselors would get on, and mm-hmm. they're just nowhere in the run. I, and, I mean, I think it speaks a bit to, uh, you know, the point earlier about, you know, maybe Vision's brand being, you know, worth negative votes. Because you look at candidates like even for school board, like Aaron Leung, who I think – We've both met, and right. he was somebody like I heard about five times before I even met. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who's young and passionate and talented, and for them not to get on school board, I think was interesting as well. Mm-hmm. That was a big surprise. One thing that I do want to bring up, and I think it was a surprise for a lot of people. Uh, it wasn't for me because I, as much as I wanted it to happen, I didn't see it happening. Uh, was for all the talk of independence in this campaign, uh, they were effectively shut out. I had, I had said, I mean, I, I'd been telling people, people had asked me what it, who, who did I think I was going to win, and I, di- I said I didn't see any independents or, or the, the route to getting there. I said maybe Sarah Blythe. Mm-hmm. She did end up pulling the highest out of all independents, yeah. but not really within striking range of getting on to council. Mm. Um, with the plethora of candidates on the ballot, did this work an advantage to party candidates? Because you just kind of have to look for the party name on the ballot. Um and, and I guess the larger question is, now that we've done this experiment with the amount of independence that we've had on the ballot, are party politics still the status quo in Vancouver civic politics? Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, well, yeah. you speak from experience. Yeah, 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 yes. Uh, yeah, the weakness, how poorly Independence did was so disappointing. I had to mm-hmm. look it up and ask some people who know Vancouver politics history way more than I do. Like, has a Independent ever gotten onto Vancouver City Council? And the answer was, yes, Carol Taylor did it in 1986. Wow. You know, 30 years ago or 32 years ago, the year I was born, yeah, she gets in and she had a very prominent position as like in the media landscape. She was, I think, a journalist before that mm-hmm. on TV. Mm-hmm. She had a ton of money. Her story was a Glenn Chernin story, I guess, in a way, <laughs> in that the NPA rejected her candidacy. And so she's like, screw it. I'm going independent. Was she making viral videos as well? <laughs> well, I don't know what they did in 86. Yeah, probably just a big, you had yeah. a big video camera. Yeah. yeah. And so she gets in that way. But ever since then, it's just the only path in is to have that brand behind mm-hmm. your name. And the hope this year was that the leveling of the playing field, the campaign finance rules, that meant Graham can raise as much as Adrian Carr. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can raise maybe double through the party as well, but mm-hmm. that's a huge advantage. Yeah. Except it wasn't. Yeah. Well, and I think that. And I know you weren't out there raising money. Yeah. But, yeah. but people like Sarah Blythe and Adrian Crook were. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that speaks to the power of an organizational machinery behind you, no matter if it's big or small. Mm-hmm. When you have that that organization, um, it really helps you on the ground and to get the to get the vote out and uh, well, when you have a database of names from the last election yeah. where you are starting from not zero mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's very true that's a really good point um it's i I've, i was also disappointed uh, i was hoping to be proved wrong um but i think yeah the parties have they, they will always intrinsically have advantages mm-hmm. and there's no way you can ever level the playing field completely right unless you say no you don't get to you, everyone just writes up an article and that's it like no you don't get to advertise or do anything else mm-hmm. there's no way to there's no way to make it even well and you look at even most of the rest of canada where they have wards and no party systems yeah there are parties yeah, yeah. like you look at calgary and they have a liberal mayor and under nahid nenshi and you know he's not officially liberal but he has his friends on council, and if you're in Calgary, you know who his people are, and mm-hmm. if you're in Ward, whatever, H, you vote for so-and-so and Nenshi. Right. And but, that will happen. Yeah, but I mean, I, I do think, you know, switching our, our um, you know, electoral system to, say, maybe multi-member wards or, or what have you will make it easier for independence. I mean, we mm-hmm. keep talking about this next thing's going to make it easier, this next thing's going to make it easier. But it might, because when you look at what, you know, save and get out the vote, talking about door knocking, Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting campaign materials out there, you know, lowering the space. Like, think about being me and you start at your front door. Mm -hmm. If you're going to go hit, you know, the 250,000 doors or whatever you'd need to do, if one in five votes for you or or what have you, if you're just going to door knock, um, like, that's that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy for an independent. When you get it down to, let's say, a ward of, uh, you know, the north, side of East Vancouver or however the wards would break mm-hmm. down, uh, you know, that gets a lot easier when you talk mm. about buying brochures, buying pamphlets, yeah. um, putting up signs. All of a sudden, you can concentrate them in a specific area that you are running for. Mm-hmm. And with multi-member wards and ranked ballots, voters wouldn't have to worry about, hey, if I put this independent on instead of, 
you know, this progressive candidate with a party, am I going to, you know, cost uh, someone the election or exactly. progressives the election or my side or whatever? Yeah. yeah no, exactly. that, that, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, more on a personal level, Graham, like what what was the extent of your door knocking or handing out material or as an independent who wasn't taking money? What, what yeah. did that look like? I mean, as far as door knocking, you know, I, I went around kind of East Van a little bit, sort of my neck of the woods. And what you realize is like when you're talking about door knocking, you know, you're giving someone a business card or something and they're going to throw it out. Um, if you're any more than three or four weeks before the election, especially they're not going to remember who you are. Yeah. Who was the one, they don't have a brand to remember. What was that guy's name that came and bothered me during, <laughs> you know, while I was cutting my lawn? It, I think it sounded like Crook. Yeah. Adrian yeah. Crook. Exactly. And, he, and his name's right at the top of the yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was it. Um, yeah. And we could have had Cook, Boyle, and Fry on this back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I've done door knocking for candidate candidates in the past at different levels. And when you're just a volunteer for a campaign, when you're door knocking, what you're actually doing is not actually trying to convince someone to vote for, you know, whatever party you're there for. It's just finding your vote at that point. Yeah. You're saying, are you likely to vote? Are you likely to vote for our person? Nope. All right. You're a zero or whatever. You give them a number right. and then they know not to spend any more time on that house. You might find some maybes and then they might send the candidate there to warm them up a bit. Hmm. Or you find the people who are yeses and you try and get money and signs on their yard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I've i only done provincial door knockings mm -hmm. over on the provincial side and it was for an incumbent MLA. And th their strategy was to go to members' homes only. And basically, you're just making sure that your base comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That was, they're not, you're making sure that your base isn't complacent and they actually show up. So I guess it depends on sort of where you are in, in, uh, in the standings, I guess. Um, we have seen a lot of new parties in addition to independence. We've mentioned all of them, I think. Coalition Vancouver, Yes Vancouver, Pro Vancouver, Vancouver First. <laughs> it has to be something Vancouver, right? Uh, idea is down there, but they're not really new. That's right. Jamie Lee Hamilton's party. That's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Um, are these parties going to be around, or was this a one and done? I think most of them are one and done. Yeah. I imagine Jamie Lee Hamilton will run again sure. and again. Uh, There's a good lesson here for all future political parties not to put the word Vancouver in their name for yeah. a little while, it seems. Yeah. That seems like coincidence, but I guess one city's full name is one city Vancouver, but... Yeah. But they they, if you have Vancouver on the city. ballot, you got punished. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, do you see any of these guys coming around again, Graham? Or? Was Vancouver First this time the same as the last Vancouver First? Or did, did I, we ever get to the bottom of that? There was a connection between Jesse, uh, Jesse Joel, Jesse Joel. I, I have no clue. Um, but it, it was this their felt, second election? I'm not totally sure. I thought it was Fred Harding just kind of parachuted in from, no, you know, England or his spaceship or whatever. And... <laughs> Decided I could, he wanted to be mayor. I think it came off like that, but, but I and I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure Jesse Johal ran as a city council candidate, and he was also trying to bring this party together this time around as he did last time. So, uh, so they might. Um, yeah, I think Coalition Vancouver. I'll put on my tinfoil hat. Um, you know, uh, that was kind of leading towards a conservative. It was a test run. Federal run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've. Uh, kind of had individuals of of their party pointed out to me as, hey, that's somebody that's running in 
are working for the nomination in this riding and that riding. Yeah. Um, how reliable that is, I don't know. We'll see. It didn't seem like something to me that was going to stick around. Yes? Question mark, question mark, question mark? I Like you could see Hector run for provincial or federal. It, yeah, but... Who knows which party? Yeah, who knows if they're going to be around next time. Um, I could see Glenn Chernin spinning something up again. Oh, absolutely. Near That's, the next election. I, I'd love yeah. to see Cedar Glenn, Party 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see Glenn Chernin try to uh, subvert the Yes Vancouver board and you know, <laughs> battle it out over there. <laughs> Um, there's their rivalry was hilarious. I don't know. It was one of those things that kind of set off the, the campaign for me. It's what really got me watching it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, one thing I also want to talk about is, uh, voter turnout. Uh, I had now mayor elect Stewart on the show and I asked him about voter turnout and I thought, you know, this progressive candidate, he's going to say, yeah, we're going to break 50% this year. Um, he said that we were going to hit 40 and most of that he was close yeah (laughs) (laughs) um he said that we're going to hit 40 percent turnout uh but 80 percent of that 40 percent was going to be very well informed obviously we can't really give that any uh we can't measure that right now um but he was pretty close there was 39 percent turnout down 5,000 votes from 2014 uh and 2014's 44% turnout in an election where the mayorship was decided by a thousand votes, so a fifth of the votes that we had lost in the last election, in what was a dramatic, hotly contested, and at least to me, super exciting election, why didn't more people show up? Why didn't more people tune into what was happening? I just want to add before we talk about Vancouver. Sure. Uh, Peachland was decided by one vote, <laughs> and Bowen Island was decided by two. That's right. So voting does matter. It does matter. Even when it's decided by a 1,000, that's still worth showing up yeah. for. But, I mean, on Kennedy's comment to you about the 40%, I think you have to remember, before he leapt into federal politics, he was studying cities as a professor at SFU. Mm-hmm. And I that sounds like his academic hat on of, like, well, turnout's probably not going to change because I've studied it. Yeah. And he had this weird sort of approach. Even when we talked to him on Canby Report, he talked about his strategy was to just go after the NDP voters and get them to turn out. Right. Which was way more open about that than we expected. Yeah. Because everyone usually says, we're going for everyone. We're trying to build, get everyone on board. And we'll convince everyone that our party is best party and become mayor. But his and his numbers kind of reflect that, you know, twenty nine percent of the popular vote. It sounds like he's just kind of going for NDP voters yeah. at this point. Mm-hmm. This was a tough election for people to get involved with. Yeah, I people would come to me saying, "Ian, you're following this election closely. How do we break it down?" And I go, "Well, I started a podcast where I've been talking for an hour every week for six months about this, and there's your starting point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's complicated." <Here's- laughs> Here's some material to, to cram through. Um, There's There was no simple fair. way to do it. No, yeah. there wasn't. And then you get to that ballot, and 21 people for mayor yeah. discard, fairly or not, people who... Discard 15 of them. You know, yeah. yeah, that yeah. many. 15, or 14, and 15, you still yeah. have a lot of people Yeah, yeah. do the same for council, where you have 71 people <sighs> running. And, and who knows? What's going to happen there? Or at that time. Yeah. Right? yeah. Really and then it? the issues all seem so intractable. Housing affordability, opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. These things that have become crises 
under a party that said they would solve them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we just go, I don't know if anyone can do it. And I can see why a lot of voters just didn't engage. Yeah. yeah. It's a feeling of kind of hopelessness that I think has come over a lot of the electorate that uh, the current council and, and Mayor Kennedy Stewart will have to look to address. I mean, so many, you know, especially young people, um, have just kind of given up. I mean, you know, you look at 2014's election, it was a high turnout. Um, I think the race was, you know, really between, you know, Vision and the MPA. Yeah. So it gave you kind of a picture of what was going on what side you're on, who your enemy is, you know. Yeah, what you represent. What's the opportunity and what's the threat, right? Um, this I, uh, just to like, interject, yeah. I love that you said it was a high turnout when it was just 44%. Oh, yeah. Which, I again, it's something. a low baseline. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that you're yeah. wrong. I'm saying that it's a low baseline because that was considered a relatively high turnout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was we skyrocketed to 45 yeah. <laughs> percent almost got half of you we yeah. almost got a d minus yes. almost yeah we almost skipped summer school uh, in 2014 but i mean to come down from that i think reflects that it was just like and the other thing and, and something i kind of wanted to touch on was mm-hmm. when you turn on some of these debates i mean you turn on the daily hive one or you turn on the business in Vancouver one, and you see six or seven or even eight grown adults bickering with each other. Yeah. That turns you off the election. If you're somebody, it just looks like a mess. And that's what a lot of, I thought the Daily Hive one was probably the best format um, Mm -hmm. until the CBC one. Um, The CBC one where it was like, you ask, you questions. Yeah. That was great because it was at least two people the business in Vancouver one, if, if you, either of you have watched that, it yeah. was three of them and they could interrupt each other. And yeah. it was like, it was, you're not going to watch them be like, oh, let me go spend, you know, four hours figuring out who these people are. You're like, that's a circus. And yeah. I don't want to. I mean, there's, I feel like you could, you could point blame at everyone or, or but everyone has responsibility here. Mm-hmm. And I think obviously the candidates should be aspiring to something greater. I mean, we. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not here to slag Kennedy because I actually like him, mm-hmm. but you brought up that point as well where he's saying he's just going after NDP voters. Well, I kind of want candidates that are going after everyone, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think the candidates should be aspiring to something else, but let's not take responsibility away from voters themselves, and a lot of them are in our generation, are younger mm-hmm. voters, um, and they're not engaged. And at the end of the day, you know, it is... A, a right, but we are really lucky to have this right. And there's mm-hmm. most most people in the world don't um, or don't have it to the degree that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this has to start being instilled maybe harder just at a younger age of how important it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are trying, and, and I'm not criticizing the school system or anything, but mm-hmm. it's just something that I don't think carries on with you into adulthood unless you're like, political nerd (laughs) Mm -hmm. sam sullivan started off the his discussion on saturday night by pointing out that on the same day we voted here in vancouver Mm -hmm. uh they had elections in afghanistan and i forget the number but over two dozen people died yeah trying to vote there that day Mm -hmm. and we can just reflect how you know privileged and easy it is and safe Mm -hmm. like no one even thinks that voting could be dangerous here Mm mm-hmm so we and their voter turnout was a lot higher. Yeah, yeah. and we yeah. definitely take it for granted. At the same time, I think the three of us around this table are doing a lot to try to engage younger people. And I think as people in our generation see 
the bad effects of people who don't seem to care about the future because they're going to die soon, frankly, mm -hmm. who vote for Brexit, who vote for Trump, who vote for people who don't care about climate change, our generation starts to care. Yeah. And maybe they're not getting involved in voting, but hopefully they're at least involved in the political process in some way, whether they're standing up to run mm -hmm. or starting podcasts and get, getting people talking. Yeah, and, and it almost does start with that, right? Uh, it starts with that city hall environment in the sense of, or I should sorry, say town hall environment, where even if it's just you and your friends having dinner and having a few beers and talking politics, but not mm -hmm. getting you know too personal about it, um, having these discussions. And I think even, again, I know it was a touchy subject, but having these discussions about race and culture and mm -hmm. um, uh, gender equality, um, these are all important discussions that I think we should continue to have. And the more we look at this as as people, as society, as culture, the more we're in, the more we're inclined to actually go vote and mm -hmm. to vote some of these values and, and considerations that we have. So um, hopefully we are, you know, promoting yeah, yeah. this. That's <laughs> the goal, I guess. Um, we are. We're running way over time, but uh, <laughs> I'm just I just want to wrap up uh, and talk about you guys for a little bit. Um, Graham, you did, how, what did you learn in your for, first foray in, uh, into municipal politics? What was it like? I, I, like the honest take, I couldn't believe how receptive people in this city were to a first time candidate, an independent candidate and a young candidate. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'll, I'll tell the story like, when we were starting out, I joked with my friends about, you know, we're on the road to 8,000. We're going to try and get to 8,000 votes because that was kind of like a somewhat decent count for an independent in past years. Was mm -hmm. like Maybe you'd get 8,000 votes, a few of the examples I looked into, um, aside from Sandy Garcino, who obviously had, you know, a great turn, I think 2011? I think so. 20,000 some, some odd votes. Um and to be able to to come out and with you know a small budget and just you know really pounding the pavement get into those five digits mm -hmm. you know you'd go to events and it would be like for example being in you know Carisdale and it's at the community center at you know seven o'clock on a Thursday <laughs> you know it's all typically whiter typically older um, you know voters mm -hmm. and to have them and especially this was on the heels of specific exam was on the heels of the making room initiative where I was asked in the lineup going in, how many days will it take you to repeal making room for a survey? <laughs> and I had to say, like, I love it. I want to go further. And they, yeah. like, immediately crossed my name off. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> and to come out there in front of them and, and bring those ideas forward and to have afterwards when you're kind of shaking hands and, and meeting people, people come up and say, you know, even if they don't agree with you, saying, hey, it's so great to have, you know, young people stepping forward. Mm -hmm. You know, that was so uplifting to me. So I think it's... I'm in a very, very hopeful place about the future of our democracy. As long as we can get, like you say, younger people, more marginalized people out to the polls, I think we're in a great spot. Yeah, yeah. I think that's awesome. And I think, again, sort of uh, piggybacking on Ian's earlier point, you're driving a conversation. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not talking about stage or audience or whatever, but you're making these people have these conversations. And mm -hmm. you were doing it on a stage, right? Yeah. In front of hundreds of people. Um, so that's really cool. And that's really cool to hear that you're hopeful and you're not like, I'm jaded about politics. <laughs> I'll never do it again. Yeah, ask me after the microphones are off. <laughs> uh, Ian, as, as someone who extensively covered this election, you probably talked to more candidates than anyone else, as far as I know. Um, maybe maybe Justin McElroy. I was going to say, some of the j real yeah. journalists. <laughs> <laughs> you talked to quite a few. Yeah. Um, 
What did you learn? How much people can care about this city mm. and care about municipal politics. When we started the podcast, we were like, it's going to be us. And like, we have a decent listenership for Politicos, but that covers the entire province. Yeah. And we're like, municipal politics, it's interesting to us. We find it amusing. No one else is going to care. We'll have a couple hundred listeners. Fine. It'll be, we'll just do it because it'll be fun. Yeah. And then we start hitting, you know, a thousand listeners within a couple months and, you know, grew a little bit after that and then create a Patreon page. And now we have 80 plus people giving us money each month to wow. put this material out there. Hmm. And we put on live shows where 50, 60, I think we may have even gotten up to 100 people at our election night event when these are the kind of people who would go to the Shauna party or the Kennedy party or the Hector party. Or right. Maybe mm-hmm. some might have gone to the Ken Sim party. Again, we have very biased listenership. Sure. But, but they're going to your party. Yeah, they came to us. Yeah. And that was awesome. And the passion people feel for podcasts and because they hear our voice, they feel like they know us personally. Mm-hmm. And it gets a little weird when people meet us, but it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird in a cool way. Yeah. Uh, that's been super humbling and honoring and just really awesome. Mm-hmm. So that's been awesome. It's been really cool to talk to all of these candidates because everyone, every single candidate out there is doing it because they believe in it. Yeah. Like we can talk about how maybe we think Hector is feels too bought by big money or something, but he believes his ideas, mm-hmm. you know, whether you agree with them or not and whether you think he's, living them in the best way or not he stands by it and he believes it and so does every candidate who ran with yes vancouver and so does way young even though i didn't get to speak to her and the others but all the independents were awesome so many who brought forward great ideas like wade grant from Mm -hmm. musqueam nation all the parties were great it was an inspiring campaign in many ways and getting to Mm -hmm. see all these people and it's in many ways sad we couldn't have more people elected like when i went to build my Mm -hmm. ballot to vote i was mm-hmm. like i want to vote for more than 10 <laughs> where sometimes it's like you're struggling to decide whether well yeah. maybe i'll just vote eight this time but i was mm-hmm. like no i have like 10 i'll vote for and i'm going to tell friends that here's another like seven or nine to consider yeah yeah again another sort of positive message and 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 i would agree um you know I, when i started this podcast it was not to be a political podcast, I know I had. You mean it wasn't just out here to like take down Hector Bremner from day one? Yeah. No, <laughs> no. Contrary to uh, to popular belief, I'm not an astroturf group. Yeah. You're not a legitimate podcast. I've 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 I don't know what that means to be honest. <laughs> I think if you publish on iTunes, you're a legitimate podcast because <laughs> um, that's podcasting. But no, I, I I found the reception, especially after the Kennedy episode, was just like candidates wanted to come on and more people were giving me feedback and I was just like whoa okay this is weird but sure let's just go with this and you're right like the the people that are really engaged and and really involved um it is a cool feeling and it does sort of give you hope that if we can influence each other and other people can influence other people um you create this effect where hopefully more people are getting involved in the political process mm-hmm. um Ian what so what is next for you in terms of the Canby report and uh, political uh, Politicoast. So Politicoast tomorrow morning, which will probably be yesterday if this comes out Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm doing a Scott and I are hosting, moderating a proportional representation debate. Oh. So that'll be coming out in our feed this week for those who can't make it in person. 
then we're just going to keep covering the legislature week after week, hopefully yeah. getting more guests on, uh, trying to find different angles, things that aren't talked about enough. Cool. It's been a ton of fun, and I always forget how – I don't always forget, but I sometimes, with how busy Canby Report has been, yeah. forget like how engaged of an audience we have for Politicos, right. and then I'll hear from people who are like, this is my favorite podcast. I'm like, that's a very weird thing for you to say, but I appreciate <laughs> it. So that's going to keep going, and I'm excited for you know the – legislature's got a lot of big bills coming through so that's going to be a ton of fun to cover canby report's going to slow down a bit because it's just been exhausting sure. a ton yeah. of fun but going to produce we're looking forward to a ton of i hope really great content things like interviews with campaign strategists we want to really hear from the people behind the scenes and try to get a bunch of them around a table yeah. from like different campaigns to s- sort of trade war stories or whatever cool we want to do things with these because we want to do like one episode a month that's our typical, let's talk about what's in the news, and one that's a bit more different. And mm. that might be one of those. We might talk to people about the opioid crisis more and figure out more policy things that we haven't had a chance to get into because it's just been horse race stuff for so long. Right, yeah. Maybe talk to a bunch of independents. I think Adrian Crook tagged us in on Twitter the other day, and I already had like Sarah Blythe and Wade Grant. And yeah, all of them battle. are like, yeah. and Rob McDowell, they're like, we're all in. Because apparently they were all just riding around in... Uh, George Affleck's car yeah. <laughs> for the campaign, which is like this somewhat untold story of like how much the independents actually did work together. And I hope you were in yeah, there at times, Graham. Uh, okay, sorry. You're know, yeah. <laughs> you not, you the, cool kids, yeah, not the cool kids independent. <laughs> Everybody's hanging out without me, just like I always thought. But yeah. that's but that's really exciting stuff, uh, Ian. Yeah, we'll be looking out for that. And um, yeah, I, I, like, uh, I like the idea that now maybe a little more policy-focused because mm-hmm. that's still – very interesting, right? And that's what yeah. the whole campaign's for. So, um, Graham, are you going to run again? Are you going to run for a party next time? you going to revive vision? What are you, what's going on? Ask me more than uh, seven days after the election. Um, you but know, overall positive experience, Oh, right? hugely positive experience. Um, you know, whether that looks like 2022 or, or what have you, you know, um, my, you know, who knows? Yeah. Um, but uh, I'll say, you know, my inbox is always open if, if um, anyone wants to, to grab a coffee, if they're thinking about running and wants some, uh, you know, insider uh, intel on what it's like. I'd, I'd love to talk to the next person who wants to run some, you know, optimistic, <laughs> independent campaign. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just want to keep, you know, feeding into the process, whether that looks like running, whether that looks like, you know, helping somebody else's campaign. Um, you know, like I touched on earlier, I'm, I'm super excited about uh, – you know, the state of our, our democracy, even if we've got issues with voter engagement. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think uh, I think 2022 is going to be a wild ride. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Yeah. Um, well, gentlemen, I appreciate both of you being here. I think this might be my longest episode. <laughs> um, but it was great. To, I actually had to cut a cu- couple of questions, too. But uh, this was a lot of fun. It's a blast. We'll do it again. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In some capacity or another, yeah. we'll do it again. There's a federal election coming up next year, so, you know, who knows? Maybe yeah. we'll get the band back together. <laughs> um, thank you again. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Listeners, Ian Bushfield and Graham Cook, and I'm Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. <laughs>